stepping of this man, Richard Hart. Bounce off from McNulty, and away he goes! Harry McNulty! This Knight gets away, Knight up to the 22, he won't be caught! Welcome back, lads. Uh, episode two. Uh, how are we doing? Very well, thank you. Um, yeah, first uh, episode went down pretty well. Looking forward to the second one. How are you lads getting on? Flying. I had an issue with my camera the other week where somehow it managed to fly off the side of a cliff and I have got the the new one here. So, happy boy right now. I'm prepping, prepping for uh, some sun. Are you going to take that out to Dubai with you, the new camera and the new lens? There's not many cliffs in Dubai, so I should be okay. (laughs) (laughs) That sand, yeah, I probably will, to be honest, yeah. So talk people through what happened with the the camera then. Talk talk us through what happened. It's just one of those things, you know, where I was having the best weekend ever. I had my exhibition was on. I had some friends fly over that I met in Ghana um, from France and Germany. and. had a massive night and then the next day decided we'll go we'll go to the cliffs of moor the west coast and just hopped in the road went down had an unbelievable sunset i think the one thing i'm most annoyed about is i've lost the footage to the sunset because it was glorious and yeah i'm filming for about half an hour like no issues whatsoever and turn around for two seconds and turn back and like where is my camera gone <laughs> it was here one second now it's gone so you know maybe my big booty or my bag on my back sent it flying over the side of a of the cliff or whatnot but um yeah didn't hear anything or any you know just there was like it was there and then it wasn't sort of job but kind of the cooler part of the whole thing was the french guy that was with me charlie he's an amazing surfer so the next day or that night, he's like, I'm going to go get your camera. Like, I'm doing this. Dead serious. Man, just do not like risk it for a piece of piece of metal. So no, 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 we will. So we rented a board in the in the local town and then went down the side of these cliffs, which is safe that people do. Um there's like there is a place to go surfing out there. So people do take this. How sort high of are the cliffs? For scale, the how high are, are the cliffs? The cliffs are any I think at the highest, like two hundred meters. So you're probably looking at like 175, probably where I was. Um, and then, yeah, he just goes down sort of the side of the hill. And then he had to paddle around a headland, like through a point, and then get onto the other side and, and then go rescue the camera, put it in his backpack and came back. Pretty, uh, pretty cool that he did that, you know. So, yeah. Oh, silly boy. Living lid. You saying in Dubai as well that there's not many cliffs, but I do remember I had my camera on uh, one of the last trips I went there on, and um, Tom Williams, aka Lenny, jumped behind me on one of the sand dunes uh, to make a wave over me, not realizing I was holding my camera, and uh, got yeah sand absolutely everywhere. So there's a few few risks out there, maybe not a cliff, but yeah, stay away from uh, Tom Williams out there. Sand and dust absolutely destroys the camera as well. Like my my main camera for photos is like falling apart. It's like sticky from from dust. Like none of the things move. It's yeah. Anyway, that's how it goes. But yeah, everyone was safe. Well, it's a bit of it's a bit of tech 
can always replace it. Bit of an annoyance, but that's how it goes. Still a great weekend. Good to hear. And Doc, how are you? How's things in uh, Hong Kong? How's your weekend been? Yeah, very well. Just started working with Hong Kong Sevens again, ready for the next tournament. Um, so they've signed me up to make some more videos. So I've got quite a cool one planned uh, to coincide with the launch of their tickets on December the 1st. Uh, so it's taking me all out and about around Hong Kong, which has been good fun filming a video. So almost finished, got a couple more shots to get on that. And then hopefully that'll be um, quite a cool video. Not really made anything like this before. And ideally it goes down well and opens up some more doors of the tournaments and, and place to go play sevens. So um, been pretty much full hammer and steam going at that. How about you, Nighty? How are you? How's your week been? Yeah, good. Uh, I was up at Kendall Mountain Festival on the weekend as a guest of Craghoppers because I was a part-time model for them earlier in the year. So they invited me up and I ended up doing a talk at the festival. So it's kind of like a big expo for a lot of brands, outdoor brands, where there's a massive marquee. Uh, all those sort of big name brands have a stall there. And then throughout the town, there's talks uh, throughout the weekend, uh, events, screenings, which are paid for. So I did my talk in the marquee, which was free. So had a decent crowd. Nice to see the Knight family come up uh, in big numbers. <laughs> 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 no, they, um, it was about 30, 40 people uh, sat down to watch. So that, that went well, but I had a great weekend. Met some cool people, uh, some interesting characters. And yeah, it was, it was well worth going to. So yeah, that was uh, that was my weekend, really. But uh, yeah, prepping as well, because I'm, I'm also off to Dubai. Not like Harry to play, but I will be out there doing some filming for a documentary. So I'm going for a very pit stop, three-day whistle wind, in and out job. But I hopefully we'll see you at Barasti, Harry. Well, I have to see how that goes. You know, it's tough when it's the two weeks back to back. You're kind of on a short leash. So I can't make any promises. But if you see me there, you didn't see me there. <laughs> <laughs> Just hearing excuses there, Harry. You all know what's going to happen. Uh, no, no, no excuses in these parts, lads. Not at all. He's, get, he's getting... <laughs> It's getting them in early. Well, we are going to review the this season's forthcoming uh, tournaments in a second, but we'll go through some news first. Uh, Harry, congratulations. You've been named Ireland captain once again. And uh, I do believe Terry Kennedy has re-signed uh, for Ireland 7. So Indeed. talk to us about being named captain and how important Terry is to the 7 squad. Uh, yeah, captaincy's cool. Like It's um, sort of a role that I kind of... Jumped in and out of a little bit when Billy was captain. Um, just was like to, you know, someone gets injured or, you know, someone leaves the field, you kind of get to jump into that role, which is kind of cool. So being able to be named captain for the seasons is fantastic and uh, really great for me and my family and just quite an honor to be able to represent your country anyway, but to be able to sort of lead them out is huge. And I hope, I hope the boys are enjoying me being captain <laughs> it's always hard to know no one really says too much but um yeah just yeah really excited for the year ahead like obviously leading up to paris and we've got a full world series and uh there's like less tournaments and you know less teams so the pressure is really on in terms of being able to make sure you make the most of each game each tournament get the points that you want you don't want to be down in the bottom four and it's going to be just so hard through the year so there's going to be a lot of learning there's going to be a lot of growth for a lot of players and myself included in terms of being able to to manage guys get the best out of them and understand what works for some people what, what doesn't work for others um so that's like a whole new challenge probably for me and something that like uh we're working on 
internally and we've got like a culture coach who works through all the IRFU and going through different uh, different bits that mean a lot to, to players on the team and mean a lot as a squad and kind of what we're building for and, and what we're looking to achieve. So really exciting, really, really exciting. Um, and then, yeah, with Terry back, obviously World Player of the Year, uh, great guy. Myself and Terry, just we get on so well. Uh, we, like, are, I guess family, friends. My mom and Terry's mom used to work together when they were in the Middle East. They were air hostess together. So, like, goes way back to Kennedy's um, and our family. And then, yeah, it's great to be able to play with him. He just does so well on the pitch. Every time he gets the ball, you're not really sure what he's going to be able to pull out, but he always manages to do something. And uh, he's a great leader, especially for the backs as well, because he just takes. Um, so much respect from everybody else in terms of what he's able to do and just what he does in the field. And, and he's a good lad too. So to have him back is great and uh, give us some really good uh, go forward. And well, hopefully he can just do all the hard work. We'll just do the scrums and lineups to just let him run and score. Him, and that's <laughs> one of those ones. <laughs> tell us, uh, tell us a bit more about this culture coach or, or if there's obviously things that are trade secrets, keep them, but um, that seems like quite an interesting role. How long have they been in the IRSU for? Like, what what are they helping you with kind of day to day? Yeah, so Dara, he's been brilliant. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how long he's been in the IRFU for, uh, but this is the first time that we've worked with him. Uh, he kind of, I think, jumps uh, through some different teams within the IRFU. So with the men's, women's, the under 20s, the sevens programs. But I think he also does like culture stuff for other unions, unions as well throughout throughout Ireland he used to work down in New Zealand with the Blues um he used to work like in football and all that kind of stuff so he's not in with us every day per se uh it's not like we've got a coaching session culture coaching session with him every day um we kind of would bump into him maybe once a fortnight ish and the basis of it because we've never done anything like this before in sevens is developing a foundation. So doing a lot of work with the squad, we were like split into different groups, going through like what were really important parts about sevens individually. So like, you know, why are you part of the sevens program? What do you think of the sevens program when someone asks you about it? Or what were your interpretations of sevens in Ireland? And like, what do you want to get out of it? What do you want people to think about it? And like, all the like just trying to like pull answers out of you but then also he's great because he is really great at asking questions so if you give an answer and he doesn't feel as though maybe there's enough coming out of you or you know you're not really delving deep enough into how you really feel about something he'll ask and he'll probe and he'll he'll pull it out of you so that was kind of the basis of it and then once we were able to gather enough what he calls data we put together like a survey monkey with the right questions to be asked he went away and developed essentially a he made a powerpoint presentation but he was able to to put it into sort of like a, a pyramid so what were the core things at the top of the pyramid and then work their way down to have like the foundation levels and, and build it all the way up and then as uh, myself, uh, Terry, Jordan, a few of the other guys then had to take that information, kind of step away from the lads, try and build it out in terms of putting some some more depth and words towards each section and how we wanted to fill it out. So um, like, what's our team mantra going to be? Um, what is, what is going to be the, 
the bit of the information that's going to be at the top of the pyramid. That's something that we can always look back to. And then what are just our daily habits? Like what are things that are non-negotiables, like whether it's around cleanliness in the gym or whether it's being on time and getting getting your um, paperwork done for visas going abroad, all that kind of stuff and categorize it. And then, and then we have to present it back to the, to the team and the management as well. And then from there, we kind of got given like yes and no's uh, in terms of that we think that works or we think maybe we could change it here and there. Went for a review too. And that's sort of the stage that we're at now. So we're kind of at a finalization of our structure as a culture and what we're fighting for and like who we think we are and what's going to make us better, better rugby players and a better team and be able to call guys out. And then Darrow was away. He's back now. So we are going to have, I think, what did he call it? Like a culture, a culture amp session. I think he called it, uh, basically sit everybody down in a room and go, you know what? I don't think you're buying into this portion of the culture, or I think you've been amazing at it. And like literally having a dynamic call out, but you know, for, for the greater good of the team. So that'll be interesting. And, um, then hopefully build it and, and, uh, kind of polish it off as the as the season goes through like Dubai will be our first tournament where you know this is going to be implemented throughout the entire squad on tour so that's kind of it in a nutshell it's been a, it's been like over like since we came back in so there's two or three months of work that I've tried to summarize there in in a short period of time so it's kind of the idea Yeah, it's it's been great, and like I guess if you wanted to take like um, examples of like how it has been working, like the Irish under twenties made the final, but they had done all of this, and they were really tight knit, and they were all working for the same thing. And there was unfortunately um, one of the one of the guys on the team's dad passed away while they were on tour. So like uh, he was an ex coach of mine, Greg Oliver, and like amazing man. But you know there was these moments that you could never plan for, but this culture allowed for all of the guys to be able to come together and, and, and um, keep fighting for what they were trying to do and, and work through all these hard moments. And then like the, the, the senior team have been going so well for over two years as well. So like those guys have been developing their culture too. So it definitely works, but you just need to make sure that you're really clear on what you're trying to achieve. And therefore you can call people out to make sure that, you know, what you're doing isn't the right thing or, or what you are doing is the right thing and, and applaud people for it too. Yeah. So. Yeah. Amazing stuff. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It is really good. I'm working with him one-on-one from like a captaincy point of view as well to try and like do some other bits that I can help focus on and, and um, be able to just realize when, when's the right thing, time to do certain things or say certain things, you know? So interesting, very, very, very interesting and kind of a hot topic at the moment as well. Definitely, definitely. So we'll hopefully see the fruits of your labour paying off on the World Series this year. Ireland, Ireland to win. Is that what you're saying? Uh, we'll see. But building slowly, slowly. Like, but... Brilliant. Uh, in other sevens news, Kenya men won the Safari Sevens, beating Samurai mm. 19-0 in the final, and Uganda women beat Kenya mm. in the women's tournament. Uh, we touched on it last week as well, lads. Uh, DuPont and Hooper have both announced their switch to sevens. We were unsure if it was going ahead, but they've now confirmed it. We talked about it last week as well. Where do we see both of these players fitting in? Uh, Dupont's obviously an incredible 15s player, but where do we see him playing in the game of sevens? 
I, I think we touched on this last week. Um, uh, like I think everyone would think he'd go in at scrum half or 10. I just wondered whether he'd be useful at hooker as well, just with his physical characteristics. Um, it might be easier to slot in there initially and then work your way out uh, to the halfback role. Um, we'll have to see what happens there because there's strong players in the French team all over and they've just been getting stronger and stronger over the last three, four years building up to this Paris Olympics. Um, one thing I did see him say, which I really loved, he he said, uh, what I see the effort this discipline requires is going to take some time to adapt. Um, mm. And for me, that just like sings like how much respect he has for the sport. He's not going to try and come in two or three tournaments to go. Like he's, he, he can see that this isn't just going to be straight in and it's going to work straight away. He's just going to have to keep layering and layering and building his understanding, his fitness. Um, and from everything I've seen from Hooper, he's he's doing the same. And I think they've set the standard really high so far for the 15s players coming over to sevens before they've even stepped foot on the pitch just with the amount of respect they're teaching the sport. And I'm hoping this has come from the previous, the previous examples, which we chatted about last pod, where maybe 15s players tried to come in later on and, and it didn't really work for them. Yeah, he asked for patience, uh, DuPont, but... Luke, you, you've played, obviously, a lot of sevens and quite a bit of 15s. How does the skill set differ from a nine if he is looking to come over from the 15-a-side game? Can you kind of give us a little bit of insight into how much different it is and how difficult the transition can be? Um, like the, it, it can vary completely from player to player. There's obviously some massive differences. Like he, He'd be very comfortable at box kicking. And he can probably put that away for a whole year. Like, he shouldn't really be doing that in sevens at all. Bring it back, uh, that, bring it back, baby. As a halfback, he could be expected to drop kick. And uh, he maybe maybe hasn't done much of that in terms of the uh, kickoffs and also going for posts. I'm pretty sure he can kick off both feet, though. So I wouldn't be surprised if he, he steps into a role like that and, and can drop kick very, very comfortably. Um, there are some points where it's quite similar. So the sweeping role is, say, a nine if you do play like a six and a one. So six defenders in the front line and one defender at the back that's called a sweeper. That's quite similar to maybe a nines role in 15s where they are kind of behind that front line, plugging holes as they see it, looking for opportunities to jackal. So something like that he's going to be incredible at. Um, and then from an attacking side maybe less structure is in 15s less kick in but I think he's shown time and time again on the 15s field he's not afraid of like a quick tap and go he's often the person supporting someone on a break um and then in defense like he never ever gets I don't think he's ever missed the tackle he's he's pretty phenomenal so he will get tested probably far more in one-on-one situations in attack and defense um but I think what he's done in 15s sets him up really well from the individual skills point of view it might just be those points where less box kick in um and kind of structure in the phase play like you would have in 15s nice and harry a word on hooper how do you think he's going to fit into that aussie team you know you've got a good few mates there yeah so the aussie team have been like really strong and i think like with sevens, um, it's always a tough one. Like your squad size, you always want to make sure that you have enough players within a squad to like make it through the year. And I think Aussies last year actually only had a very small squad, like from a numbers point of view, especially if you're comparing it to the likes of France, New Zealand, uh, even like Ireland. We've got quite a few boys in at the moment, but 
Um, so getting someone like Hooper is obviously fantastic, and like his knowledge just of of rugby in general, his skill set's incredible. And coming from a back row, just making your tackles, the jackals, and lifting and lineouts, all that kind of stuff. I don't think his learnings would be like too crazy. Um, I just think I think from what he said himself, it's more of a case like, does my body have the sort of capabilities of keeping up with the demands of sevens? So I think both Dupont and Hooper have have the the smarts to understand that there's a lot of running, there's um, a lot of high speed meters, uh, a lot of one on one stuff, and just like being able to repeatedly do these efforts. And both are fantastic athletes. I think just Hooper's probably a bit on the uh, what what is he probably thirty two, thirty three, maybe a little. I older. think he's thirty two. That was my okay. only question mark. That was my only question mark around him was being thirty two and coming into sevens for the first time. Um, for me, that seems like it just would be quite hard just to learn it, but then also on your body. And he's obviously played in a position where he's been sticking his body and his head and his arms and his legs like in pretty rough situations. Uh, um, I really hope he can and uh, he has a long enough run up. Um, but we always used to see it with 15s boys when they came into the sevens. Uh, you'd be amazed, like you would be surprised if a hamstring either twinged or completely tore within the first like two three weeks of training, just because not used to the, like like you said that repeated high speed efforts. It's like the military are having a training day that day, like just snipers in the hills, <laughs> like, pinging pinging hamstrings. <laughs> right. I think well, we had one. We had one where I think three boys did the hamstrings, which is mental. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, to be honest, it's well, it's trying to get through that load. But now with GPS and like all the data and stuff, there's so much uh, studying going on with it, and like being able to load players. Now, obviously, it's not foolproof, but I definitely noticed from when we were originally in the sevens program and not having GPS, and only the guys involved with an academy came with GPS. Like the amount of lads who were pulling up with injuries, especially like uh, we do a weekend training camp at day two. They would just have hamstrings going left and right, but now with the GPS, like if something going, it's it's a bit more like out of the blue sort of stuff, where like you know they kind of understand people's loads. So, look, I, I'd really love to to see both of the guys um, play, but I think Luke, as you said, it's it's the run up that you need. It's not just a sport anymore where we'll chuck a few international 15s lads in and let them have a run because they'll go fine. It's it's now taken on to another level, so. My personal opinion, if you want to be able to get to the level you need to for sevens, it's it, it's about eight months, a year, like a full season anyway. So they're they're giving themselves the guts of that. So fair play to them for making that decision as well. Have to back them on that kind of thing. But yeah, it's it's um it's a case of just being able to hold hold on to that load and um making your way through it and, and then the rest will come from a rugby point of view. Yeah, nice. It's uh, just under eight months to the Olympics, actually. Uh, interesting, like, he's got 125 caps for Australia. He's obviously going to come across with a huge amount of wealth in the 15s game and knowledge, and he's going to be respected by the sevens player, but he's almost going to become a student again because, mm. you know, those players that have been in that squad for a long time, they're going to know the game a lot better than he is. So, yeah, I hope he can fit in. I hope it works, but don't be don't be surprised to see him perhaps not making as much as an impact as some some people think. Interestingly enough, though, he apparently reached out to Sonny Bill Williams uh, and asked him what he said, and his response was, don't do it. No way. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, he had the old sniper on the Achilles, didn't he, Sonny Bell? Real bad. I think it was a real bad one. That was the first game of the Olympics, was it? Yeah. Yeah. I think, did Sonny Bell famously say that through all the pre-seasons and things that he's ever done, boxing, NRL, everything, that the sevens was the hardest? I don't know if I'm making that up, but I think it was something like that. It sounds good. It sounds good. Let's go with that. Yeah, he yeah. said it. He said it. 100% said it. You're right there, Harry. He said, don't let the truth get in the way of a good story, yeah? <laughs> exactly. But how funny is that? He rang him up for a bit of advice. Don't do it, mate. But I think he should I think he should, I think he should do it. I think just take some of the lessons from some of the previous lads who've done it. That's all. You'll be grand. I think he said he's coming into the programme in January. So uh, Perth is obviously in January, but if he starts training, say on the second or something of January, like that's definitely you wouldn't imagine enough time for I think it's the twenty sixth or around there for Perth. So um you're probably looking at like a Hong Kong, Singapore kind of. No, maybe earlier than that, Hong Kong anyway. Yeah, we well, we hope to see him at Perth, but you said two weeks isn't enough in the build-up to a big event like that. So he needs to needs to get some work in over Christmas. Uh, the big news this weekend has been the Asia qualifications for the Olympics. It was double delight for Japan as both their men's and women's teams secured Olympic qualification in Osaka. It's the third time both sevens teams have played at the Olympics. Uh, the men staged a dramatic comeback to beat Hong Kong 21-14 and the women beat China 21-14. Doc, you obviously are out in Hong Kong. What do you make of it and how gutted were you for the Hong Kong lads? Uh, yeah, so it was a huge tournament, the Asian final. Um, heartbreaking for Hong Kong. Um, was really rooting for them, losing in the last play of the game. Um, was They looked pretty comfortable in the first half. It was 14-7, I think. Um, but Liam Herbert was playing incredibly well for them, scoring tries, getting turnovers. They brought Max Denmark on. It just looked like they were slowly starting to turn the screw. And um, fair play to Japan. They just hung in there. Some incredible defence. And then they had a few chances towards the end of the game to take a few shots and they scored to make it 14 all. Um, and then there was a big tackle with uh, what's well in the comments anyway. When I was watching, some people thought it was a bit of a dubious decision on the jackal, which led to Japan tapping and going and then scoring in the corner to to take the win. But it looks like it all happens quite quickly. The ball comes off the floor, and earlier on in the game, there seemed to be some similar decisions given. Um, so heartbreaking for Hong Kong, but incredible for Japan. They seem to have just kind of come out of nowhere after not really performing on the Asian series. And then the same again for the, the women's final beat in China. China looked like they were just running away with everything. They were winning like 50, 60 nil. Um, felt for one of the Chinese players. They, they, they'd they gone basically like 52 nil, 50 nil, 60 nil. There was only one girl who hadn't scored a try. Uh, whereas those two of them had scored eight tries <laughs> each or something crazy. Um, but again, fair play to Japan. They, their defence was incredible. They were quite a bit smaller than the Chinese players, but just ankle ch- ankle chopping every single uh, contact. Their contact skills are incredible. And um, a couple of really, really nice tries to, to put them into a uh, another Olympics in Paris. Uh, um, two really good finals. Highly recommend going back and watching them. There's plenty of learning points of a younger player to watch them. Um, but yeah, heartbreak for Hong Kong um, in the men's and the women's. Uh, they have qualified for the repechage, uh, but incredible for Japan to make it through to the Olympics. Well done uh, to Japan on both fronts. But yeah, um, Hong Kong will head to the repechage. 
alongside China, who beat UAE 36-0. And yeah, that'll be interesting for them. One last sort of roll of the dice. We're going to look ahead now to the 2023-2024 season. It's a new format, new venues. And we also have the small matter of the Olympics at the end of the year. Now, the big changes are that the men's competition is now down to 12 teams in line with the Olympics and the women's. Kenya, Uruguay and Japan were relegated after Canada won the playoffs. The tournament will now take place over seven months and will consist of eight tournaments, down from the usual ten. Both the men and the women will compete side by side. And after seven events, the top eight will compete in a unique grand final event. And the bottom four teams will compete against the top four teams from the Challenger Series in a unique playoff format which will decide the core teams for the next year now i'll quickly go through the events before we get into it so we've got dubai kicking things off on the 2nd of december and then we go back to back where we go to cape town the following week then we have a bit of a break where it heads to perth in australia at the end of january and then a month later we are in vancouver in canada and a month after that it's off to la uh, in the usa and then the 5th to 7th of april is hong kong a month later, it is Singapore, and then it finishes up with the final in Madrid. First of all, gents, the thoughts on the, this new style of tournament with this grand final promotion relegation business. <laughs> business. <laughs> business. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's been kind of the debate, hasn't it, for about three, four years within the seven circles. Like We've chatted about this for years, and this is where they've ended up on. Um, I think I think we'll have to see a few of the tournaments to see how it runs in terms of the twelve teams. I think straight away looking at the groups for this Dubai, you're having kind of core final matches in the group stages, which I think will be quite a good thing. Obviously tougher for the teams, um, although you will have two of the third place teams going through as well. Um but yeah, it looks like it's going to be carnage from the first group of games, particularly for the men now in this new format. Um, in terms of the grand final, I quite like that. And then the relegation, I think that gives a fair chance for the teams in the bottom four and four coming up um, to see who ends up there. Um, so yeah, like I, I think from looking at it from the outset, they, they look like pretty good decisions they've made. I'd, I'd just be interest, interested to see how these first few tournaments go with it. Yeah, I think it's just really tough uh, going to the tw- the twelve teams because it was already competitive enough as it was with the men's game anyway, and from where we were playing last season, and wasn't really much between the teams, so it just makes it even harder. And then I guess yeah, this will really be our first time having the the pools the way they are, and just trying to be able to get out of them. I just don't know what you find with the women's game a little bit is that some teams kind of get caught in like a loop of really hard games every single tournament, like especially when they get to the quarterfinals and they don't really get past that. So I don't know if that's going to sort of be the case with the, with the men's game um, where like you, you're just really struggling to get out of a certain position. And then does that mean like, does that put you down into the bottom four just because um, you're struggling not to get those points, even though you're a good enough team? But time will tell with that, I suppose. Um, then the grand final, a little up in the air about it just because I think as rugby players and the way that the tournaments are done, we all sort of believe that the winner should be the team that was the best all season and 
you know, that shows from the points that you've accumulated all season as well, because it's so hard to win a tournament, so hard to get far in a tournament anyway, that if, uh, if you win one at the end and you're named like the overall winner of the series, like, is it, is it just, you know, is it actually, are you actually, or you're the winner of Madrid, which is what everybody would say is correct. And then, uh, Robbie Ferguson had a good point when I was chatting him before. It's like, if you were say New Zealand last year, right, they managed to do really well and they were quite a few points ahead of everybody else at one stage. Does that mean then for the last two tournaments before Madrid, say Hong Kong and Singapore, they decide to just put out uh, newer teams to gain experience, especially with the Olympic year, give guys a, a trial. Uh, you're therefore not you know, getting the same product that you would expect maybe from a New Zealand team, perhaps. And then you're resting some of those guys so that they're flying fit for the last tournament of the season. And, you know, you're kind of um, loading up for that one and sort of, you know, how does that kind of work as well? So I just thought that was kind of a good point. Um, and then, yeah, just the bottom four, it is good because it's kind of a better chance to stay up, but also a better chance to come up as well. But I just feel like there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of um, hype around the bottom four. Like what tournament in the world are you hyping up the last four teams? Like, you know, the NBA or the NFL or any of those American sports. Like, here's the four bottom teams of the season playing. Um, I, 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 think in, I think in those American sports, they don't have relegation in anything. So I think, for, uh, yeah, I think for those leagues, they would be very strange. But like the, between like the premiership and the championship in football, that's like one of the biggest games of the year. It's like the biggest money game, I think. Um, so I think there's play. I think leagues which have relegation promotion, then the bottom of the table does become quite interesting, and there's big jeopardy with it as well. So I don't. Know, I'm not. I'm not as. Uh, I I I think that's quite a quite an interesting way to go about it. I think it could be quite a good tournament. I really like the the way they've done the the bottom four, the sort of jeopardy around this sort of playoff in the last one. But I'm not a fan at all of this grand final. Like you said, it kind of takes away from the gravitas of the whole seven series, you know, if a team's clearly won it and then they don't win this last one in in Madrid, it seems like a bit of a damp squid, really. And like you've already touched on, Harry, it it's going to allow teams to rest players. So if a team is streets ahead, they know they're not going to end up in that relegation battle. These last couple of tournaments, they're not going to become meaningless because Hong Kong is such a prestigious event, but it means they're not going to take it as seriously as perhaps they should, they're going to rest boys. And I think that's very unfair to have in Olympic year when teams like Canada, GB, South Africa are yet to qualify. So they've not only got to be concerned with their status on the World Series, they've then got to think about this repercharge event that they've got in the following weeks because there's only, what, eight weeks from the end of the series to the Olympics. It's a very short window. So for them, they're going to have to be switched on all year, whereas other teams are going to have a chance to rest boys, rotate boys, and that's only going to benefit them in the longer term. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit disappointed by this grand final nonsense for the top eight, but I do like the jeopardy involved in the bottom four. Uh, it's going to keep them on their toes, and it just makes it a bit more interesting. And I don't know how many teams go up and down. Are you, any of you lot aware of that? They I think it's just I, I, th I think it's the four again. Yeah. So whoever's left in the top four in that eight, 
they basically stay up and the ones who finish in the bottom four go down. Okay, that's uh, that's quite cool. So theoretically, you could have the same four teams that were in the bottom four stay up there. I think I think that's how it's going to be. Or you could have none. Yeah, you could have none. <laughs> or none, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be big or little changes. But that those World Series qualifiers, there's four tournaments, Dubai, Krakow, uh, Uruguay and Munich. Uh, we'll go into that in another pod, but there's, and there's also, four events there. Oh, sorry, just going about the the top eight as well. Like it's become so competitive that even it was it 2019, I think it came down to literally the last tournament in Paris for the winner of the tournament, like for the winner of the World Series to be announced. I think was it Fiji just had to get out of the pool, and they didn't, and then South Africa had to win the tournament, and then they did some of that. So you're already. The way that it it is, like, okay, last year New Zealand were incredible, but the way that the tournaments have kind of come together and the competitiveness, you're already sort of creating the grand final anyway um, without having need to create it. You know, like, the product's already there, essentially. Um, yeah, you're losing some of the jeopardy and drama from the other tournaments because they're not going to be taken as seriously, which if you just had it in the standard format, there's going to be jeopardy and drama on the way and it's going to be that incredibly exciting product that Sevens is. Um, but, yeah, this is a bit of nonsense in my eyes. <laughs> Business. <laughs> Business. <laughs> um, yeah, well, what if they did, like, uh, you won the league and then there's another kind of trophy and accolade yeah. and you won that grand final. So it's, they're, they're two separate things, but the league will give you your... Um, give you where you go in the pools for the grand final yeah everyone's going to know the real champs it's going to be like that Tyson Fury and Garnu fight everyone known Garnu won but Tyson's walked away with that victory it's going to be a it's going to be a moral victory for the whoever finishes top like what does the point mean then you know I would ask like what are the what's the points of points other than just the rele- relegation side right you know what I mean like, whoa <laughs> who am I what is my purpose in life yeah. <laughs> that's what you're getting into Some, somebody, somebody call my mummy aside from this um, grand final relegation we have the series being cut down from 10 to 8 tournaments the men uh, what what do you think on that lads there's obviously player welfare's at the heart of that Harry you're on the series what do you, what do you think of the, the 10 to 8 tournaments uh, I Kind of wish they kept the 10, to be honest with you. Uh, just the yeah. way the Sevens is and the way that you go around the world, like, you know, you're going across the world for one tournament. It's it's kind of, again, sort of Robbie, you know, chatting with him, he's really vocal within, like, the sort of uh, player group that speaks with World Rugby, and he's got, like, great ideas. And obviously his situation, GB, is a lot different than in the RFU and stuff. But, it, you know, if you're trying to go to unions, tell them, we need the same amount of money as we did last year, but we're playing less tournaments, less game time. Um, but we need to go out, you know, it's one week down in Australia, like, but we need to go out 12 days before because it's the time zones are so different. And it just makes things difficult, I think, um, and kind of takes away a little bit from from the sevens. I think there was some, just the back-to-back is brilliant. You know, it's so hard that second week. And it, it, it's usually where teams that are struggling have an opportunity to shine as well. You know, like Singapore has always been that one where like Kenya won it one year. Canada, USA were in the final. Was it one year? Or was, was that yeah, Singapore? Can- Canada won Canada won it, yeah. Samoa recently. 
Vancouver used to be one as well. Canada would always pick up there after like playing in Vegas. And those second ones always opened up the door for a few teams to play really well and kind of take a scalp here or there. So you're losing a bit of that. And then even just from travel point of view, you know, Hong Kong and Singapore are a month apart. So as a, as the Irish team, like we play in Hong Kong, if we, if we come home, we'll get a week off, we'll have a week's training, and then we're probably back on the road to Singapore again to be out there for, for the tournament week sort of thing. So um, it's kind of a bit messy from that regard. And I also think like if, uh, if they weren't too happy with a few tournament locations, they could have they could have changed them as well. Like, you know, South America, the way Argentina has been going, Chile and Uruguay within even the 15s World Cup, all these teams, like, you know, maybe there's an opportunity to diversify the markets. That's what they're trying to do as well. They're trying to get new fans. In. They're trying to spread the game of sevens. It's an Olympic year. You've got all these names joining. Like, okay, maybe bring it to Buenos Aires. Maybe bring it to uh, Santiago and Chile. Like maybe try that instead of actually like cutting off because you might find yeah. a hidden gem in there somewhere. Uh, I, th- I think it was a, I think it was play welfare, but also like money at the end of the day is what, what makes this business go around as well. Um, and I had, I'm pretty sure it was only meant to be seven tournaments. Was, and yeah. then the, the Singapore government was basically like, we basically have the F1, the sevens and then potentially like a golf or a big tennis tournament each year. So they were like, we can't afford to lose the sevens. So I think they've said they'll fund the majority of the tournament, whereas it's normally more, more of a heavily weighted towards world rugby to pay for it. Um, so that's why it's got to eight. Um, but yeah, I think it, it comes, it just comes down to money at the end of the day. Yeah, it is a it is a business. <laughs> business. <laughs> I guess intensity is going to increase because there's no the back to back tournaments, so you know more effort is going to go into one. But I think we might see more of the same teams winning over and over again because they have the skill set to go just put the effort into that one week. Whereas you said the second week it's harder. Teams are more fatigued. They've lost boys, and that's where we saw a lot of teams winning their first tournaments or doing better than they should have, and that's a shame. We're going to lose that. On the lost tournaments, we have lost Twickenham, New Zealand and France, but we've gained a new destination in Spain. We also have two new venues. Australia is headed from the West Coast over to the East. It's going to be in Perth for the first time. And the USA is shifting from Las Vegas to Los Angeles. Uh, thoughts on these new venues and thoughts on Australia and USA moving their tournament locations? Perth, yeah, interesting. I like love Sydney. What a tournament. Like and a place yeah. to go, but I've heard good things about Perth too. So look, like let's see how it goes. It's just I, I I guess when you when you talk about Australia and and Australian sport, they're very uh they're they're very dominated in certain areas. Like so, AFL in certain areas, and NRL in certain areas, rugby in certain areas, and I just don't know how much rugby is supported on the west coast in Perth. Um. So that would just be kind of a concern for me, just from uh, a numbers point of view. Um, but like, is it one of those things where it's a big event, it's a party? Yeah. We're just going to come down, you know? There's a few people from Australia here in Hong Kong and they said they thought it would be the latter there and that they don't often get really big sporting events or, or events just to go to in general. Um, so they think that there could be, a, well, they're hoping that there could be a, a decent turnout there in Perth. And um, the one I'm going to see actually go is Twickenham, to be yeah. fair, because that 
looked looked like it was just starting to find its feet, and I was hearing that it turned. Uh, the ticket sales went really well last year. There was a bit of extra money made in the tournament, so it got reinvested back into the GB Sevens program. Um, and then after that tournament, they wanted to put in a tender to try and get it for this year, but they they were too late to do it, unfortunately. Um, so that kind of stuff is is quite a shame when you hear things like that, particularly where the state of GB Sevens is at the moment and looking for funding, looking for sponsors. Um, so I was pretty gutted to see that go. Um, I also find it nuts how dominant New Zealand are in the sevens and, and in world rugby and they now don't have a tournament. So I think yeah. that's pretty crazy. I think I know, I think Twickenham was a, yeah, nearly a bad call to not be able to like keep that. It's nearly like it's like a franchise tournament, you know, you got like Hong Kong, Dubai, Twickenham, like I think they really stick out and sort of known for sevens and they always draw a big crowd. It's always a great weekend. Um, so yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit of a shame. Again, Madrid, amazing city, been there, love it. But it's like rug- rugby's growing it's on the continent. But again, it's like, how like are people going to come down to it? And you know, it's great to be in new locations and stuff. But you want to be playing in front of, you want to be playing in front of people in big crowds and having like a great atmosphere because that's part of sevens and that whole party atmosphere. So again, I just don't know enough about like the, the Spanish love for the game of rugby. So hopefully it's growing. Yeah. It's, it's great to have a tournament in Spain, but to be the tournament that everything's decided at is, is a huge call in terms of it's going to host the grand final and the, the yeah. playoffs. So you'd want a huge crowd for that. So if they're not going to bring the numbers that potentially Twickenham could, then it seems a shame to have, the deciding tournament at a venue, which is going to be slightly underwhelming. But yeah, it's nice to see new venues on, but I echo your thoughts. It's a shame to lose Twickenham, shame to lose New Zealand. Uh, but it'd be very interesting to see how things go on the East Coast of Australia because numbers in East, the Aussie tournament... West. West Coast, sorry. sorry. <laughs> West Coast, my bad. Um, numbers have been fluctuating there for years and they tried... You know, they've been to Brisbane, Adelaide, Gold Coast. They tried all sorts of places, but they never found a sticking place. So, fingers crossed, we get decent numbers for you, for you lads out there. Um, predictions for the season, lads. Uh, obviously, New Zealand are both men's and women's champions. Who do we think is going to run out winners this year? Well, does it not matter because there's a grand final? <laughs> I think the winner of the grand final is going to win it, ninety. <laughs> Have you had a thought, think about it, ninety? Have you got an answer? Oh, it doesn't matter, does it? It's grand final. It could be anyone. You might as well just roll the dice. Well, to be fair, Harry's convinced me with his culture coach earlier. So Ireland are definitely going to win men's and women's with GB in second. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna lump all in on Ireland. Wales are gonna win it. Yeah, <laughs> Wales under twenties. I think we're gonna take it. Nighty and Luke are coming back and they're setting up their own Welsh team and they're gonna come back and win it. Now you would have not liked to be playing against those Japanese players with the ankles they were going after after your injury in Hong Kong. Honestly, it was unbelievable. Just flying in um, at ankles like missiles, and they all had they all they all managed to wear head guards, but they all had different coloured, different designs on, which I thought was quite impressive as well. Oh, you're giving me PTSD. I still have nightmares about that Korean bowling ball that took me took my ankles out. Yeah. Bad times, bad times. Right, Doc, we'll finish up with this is This Isn't Sevens this week. What, what have you got for us? 
so this is Simon's first of all. We've we've mentioned quite a few of them. Uh, so obviously Harry being named captain. We've got Hooper and Dupont coming across, Terry Kennedy coming back. Uh, and on that note, in the last couple of games, we're seeing a lot of stars in the sevens, particularly in the women's game. They're committing to kind of two, three, four-year contracts. Um, and I think that's awesome and, and a good sign to see where the game's going. Um, I touched on it earlier, though. This is Sevens this week is going to DuPont uh, for what he was saying and, and the respect he, he's showing Sevens before coming in. I think that's he's going to be huge for the game. I think he is going to shine when he comes. And I think it's because he's coming in with this attitude. And I'm hoping in an Olympic year, such a big superstar coming in, this would be massive for the sport. Um, so this is Sevens goes to Anton DuPont and Hooper for this week. Uh, this is in Sevens. Um, with it coming up next week, Dubai Sevens is obviously an incredible tournament. All three of us have played it uh, quite a few times. We've played in the Invitation as well as the International Tournament. Some of my favourite rugby memories are there. Obviously love it as a tournament. Um, but they're getting it this week for not um, picking me, basically, to come and make content and media for the week. Um, and it's doing my head in, basically. So this is my way of getting them back for that. <laughs> they're having this is in sevens this week thoughts lads love that you brought your personal vendetta onto this isn't this is sevens this is why we do the podcast lads so right at the end i can just uh get the real the real messages across but uh yeah pleasure to have you on gents thank you very much we'll be back next week me and doc for a little preview of the dubai sevens Remember to give us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. And if you do send it across, Doc will send you a running plan. He has said this. No one has claimed the running plan. <laughs> Not yet, anyway. Pleasure. Well, thank you very much. Good luck in Dubai, Harry. Safe travels out there. And I'll see you in, in Barasti. Slange. Slange. No star.